0: Nothing beats our stories. Welcome to the campfire. Join me, Ben Zoldian, and my guests as we explore all kinds of topics. This platform exists to inspire human spirit, period. That's it. Nothing's off limits. And you're going to hear from everybody, thought leaders and non-thought leaders, CEOs and non-CEOs, authors and non-authors. What you're going to really hear is conversations that matter that get to the heart of the human condition and stories that inspire. Welcome to the campfire, and I have my friend Kelly Wright joining us.
1: Hello, it's so good to be here, Ben.
0: Well, thanks, Kelly, and I'm going to do my best to introduce you, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to do that by telling you what I know about you. Uh,
1: okay. Well, that's scary. I've...
0: Well, okay, I'll start in reverse order. So I thought you were retiring because I saw that word a few years ago, but you're pretty <laughs> active these days. You you have more energy than than people think. I have a lot of energy, but you you. You're active on a ton of boards, right? uh, You teach a program at the University of Washington's Business School on a go-to-market approach. You are the Executive Vice President of Worldwide Sales at Tableau. I was. Okay. If we go back 11 years before that, or at the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, you were the first person to come in and sell Tableau stuff.
1: I was, I was, I was the 10th employee. I joined one month before Tableau launched version one.
0: Okay. You're a a long time ago. Okay. We're going to talk about that. You're a mother.
1: I am have kids. They are now 26, 18 and 17 as of yesterday.
0: Okay. And we're going to talk about the world that we're launching them into today. So we're going to go there. You're a wife. I am. I met Almost 25 husband. years, 25 years. I think one of the coolest memories I have are things about our relationship is you sent your husband to my work, my, one of my public. I school.
1: did. Jeff did go to one of your classes. I was talking about it so much. It said, Jeff, got to go check it out. Ben said, hey, tap Jeff come. So he went to one of the public classes.
0: I was trying to. And the other thing is this. Um, you're a person with a, a big heart. And, and here's what I mean. the the. This is where we met. We actually met at the in the morning before we started one of our very first workshops, um, about a half a dozen years ago, maybe five years ago, at Tableau, and we were in Arlington, Virginia. And I think we we were starting at eight thirty, but you pulled me aside at like the beverage station. I remember that. And
1: we had talked before. That was first time we met in
0: person. Met in person. And you just said, Ben, I want to warn you. And I was like, What? You said I'm a crier. Those are your words. I think that's yeah, how you... Yeah, you have all
1: the Tableau people on the, on, that are on the line are probably laughing right now because they know that about me.
0: I, sh- I share that because you're somebody with a big heart. And it's interesting for me because I don't know if we talk about that enough in business. And one of the things that people used to say to me before I met you and I met your leadership team at Tableau and I started to meet the people at Tableau, it was like, man, Tableau is just different. Like we have this thing and it's like one of those things you ever like go somewhere and you just, you, you feel it, it just feels different, but you can't put words around it. Like, do you ever experience that in your life?
1: I do. I'm not sure where you're going with this.
0: <laughs> well, everybody used to say that Tableau just different. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I started to hear like these rumblings were this at Tableau, we bring people in with a big heart.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, tableau and uh, there were a lot of people at tableau that behaved in the same way and operate in the same way I know I really do but just focusing on the person like always wanting to put people at the center rather than operations at the center or sales at the center or revenue at the center the product at the center all of those are critically important uh, but when you put the people at the center and really trying to understand how can you create an environment where you can help all of the people thrive and create an environment where you can help your customers thrive because you know what people are always saying you you sell to companies well you do sell to companies but you sell to people at companies and so you need to be able to create those connections with the individual people who are your customers and i i think when people talk about operating with heart is really in a lot of ways synonymous with putting people and their own perspectives and their own feelings and thoughts at the center.
0: Okay, so you and I talked a lot about like just putting the heart and soul into an organization, but everybody talks about it. Everybody talks about people. And yet, why do some, it just seems to me like, so we talked about, you know you mentioned your kids and I said, we're gonna talk about the world we're gonna send your kids into. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, my litmus test for the work that I've, I've done in the last handful of years was always as my girls were getting, into their adulthood and becoming women and now are in college Mm -hmm. it's what's you know my litmus test was like what's the world that you know i'm going to send my my kids into like what does that look like and and yet everybody talks about heart and soul and people nobody doesn't and yet so many organizations struggle with it what's missing
1: yeah you know there's a few different ways that you can answer that we can go down a a bunch of different permutations. I I think one of the things that I'll just put on that is if I you know, uh, you've taught me that I always give my answers in stories. I probably did before, now I even do more. Like you always have to give in stories. I can't just give a rational answer without telling a story. So for everyone that's on the line, you're gonna have to bear with hearing a whole bunch of Kelly stories uh, today. So for a personal story is I was at Tableau for almost 12 years. Now I'm on boards of four different tech companies. I advise a bunch of companies. I'm really active on a bunch of women on board organizations. I teach a go to market strategy. So so I have I have different interactions with people in all different places. And people are always asking me these questions: of What what should be our three top priorities? I get this question all the time, and I got it all the time even when I was at Tableau. Maybe they will say um, at if they're a startup, what should be my first? What should be my three priorities when I'm just getting started? Or when they're going to global expansion, what should be my three priorities? Or um, when they're larger, trying to go more upstream and, and like try to sell to more larger enterprise customers? And I think people, when they ask me that question, they're always thinking about really pretty tactical operational things. Like, should it be global expansion? Should it be sales productivity? And I've always had the three answers, and I think you know where I'm going with this because I, I said this way back when, but my three answers to all those questions have always been the same and they always will be the same. So when people say, Kelly, what are the, what are your three priorities? My first priority is people. Then people say, well, what's number two? Number two, people. Number three is people. People are the ones that engage with the customers. People are the ones that build all the internal systems for your employees. And if you have a fantastic product at a fantastic time and all of your goals and strategies beneath that are right and you have the wrong people, then then you're gonna have a problem. But people are the ones that also make decisions and people are the ones that build and scale and grow companies so to me it all comes back to people number one people number two people number three and many organizations that talk about the heart and soul if you ask them their three top priorities people will be somewhere like seven or eight and you can't you can't operate that way if people aren't always your number one
0: well i know you guys were always intentional about your leadership principles and your values and yet every company has a set of values that is that are posted on On a plaque on a wall or on a website page Uh, but you guys were intentional I know you were active you know you were really um, intentional about infusing those principles and shaping those principles into the culture of Tableau but here's something maybe maybe I missed on this one because you guys would always say we we hire for talent and the right people and I I swear I'd go up to Seattle and people would be like the whispers were this hey yo, Ben like are we we're, we're different we're cool right <laughs> right and then i'd be like well yeah you can seattle grunge and you all have beards and like look the part oh not me <laughs> okay um that's true but it was like but it wasn't about that and i don't i get that it's about like finding talent like we all use those words but i also think there's this bigger thing when you talk about people i think about relationships and i think about Nurturing relationships and then nurturing what people is what people are really really about like I don't know I think it's just more than hiring people But it's really about being intentional and putting your money where your mouth is and developing people and developing Structures around us that really put people first
1: Yeah, well, well, I think actually ben it's even more than that all that is definitely true and putting people first But I think that a lot of it does have to do with what is the culture of the company. And another thing that people often will ask me is, well, what is a good culture? What is a bad culture? And I think that's the wrong question to be asking. I think the the, the right thing to be thinking about is Every company has its unique culture, just like each of us that are here on this call today, each have a different personality. We each are, we're each our own authentic self, we're each different. And there's not necessarily something that's good or something that is bad. We all kind of have, you know, different pieces of that. And each company in the same way has their own unique personality and their own unique culture. And there's some cultures, that might be more of a top-down authoritarian culture. There might be some that are super, super collaborative. Um, And then, you know, you have a culture like a tableau culture, a different culture. So there's not necessarily a right or wrong absolute culture, but there is a culture that is right for that specific company. And it is really important that that company understand what their culture is, which is derived by their mission, their vision, their purpose, their why, and their core values. And that once you understand what those core values are, that you hire people that breathe by those same core values. When you talk about core values, core values are are, are not people's perspective on the world. And maybe we'll talk about diversity of thought a little bit later on. Diversity of thought is so, so critical that you want people coming from all different perspectives and all different walks of life, but you do want them to be grained in the values. And one of the things that we did at Tableau, and also what I talk about at all the companies I'm involved in now, is being really, really thoughtful and intentional about what are your values, and then making sure that those values not only are part of who you interview and part of the interviewing process, but that they show up and you can have examples of how you live and breathe those values every day.
0: All right, so let's talk about diversity of thought because I I had spent time getting to know Captain Bob Heckman, he just popped into my mind. He was a 30 year retired veteran of the United States Navy. And I spent a day with him and he had the most incredible stories. But he talked about, we were talking about how you get everybody on a, on a, on a battleship. And he, he was a captain of a, of a you know, United States nuclear destroyer. And he's like, Ben, listen, when, you're, when you have 400 people in, in those small confines, you have no silos. Like, everybody, like, let's talk culture. And he talked about what it's like where, as a commanding officer, you would have to have the same, you're, you, know, you would have to empower the 19-year-old enlisted private to have as much of a voice to contribute as the commanding officers and they would have this ritual and he called it the school of the ship where at every meal you weren't allowed to sit with your own ranking or your own division so if you were in operations you would sit with safety Um, but the whole idea was everybody would have a platform to know who they are and where they came from and it just got me thinking of like diversity of thought like how diverse are we in corporate America maybe we talk about that I mean I don't know if you want to talk about what you guys did or just talk about, it just seems like that ain't the, that ain't the, the, the culture of most organizations.
1: Mm-hmm. It, you know, diversity of thought is super tricky and in, in the world right now, we're seeing so much of it just kind of pop up in current events. And, and I think it's a very timely topic and conversation because many people don't do it well. And I think the biggest challenge, well, there's a whole bunch of challenges. One, one of the really big challenges, though, is every single person is made up by their own, like their own perspective is made up by their own upbringing and their own background and where they came from. And if you look at many companies and you look at how important it is for people to get like their employee referrals and get people that you know, which is critically important too, because those people might help to foster a positive culture because you worked with them before. The challenge is, is that, people tend to be attracted to for their friendships or people that they work with, with other people that have had similar experiences and have similar perspectives and actually agree and align with the way, you know, with your own end approach or the way you do things. And to get diversity of thought, if you go hire a whole bunch of people that come from the same kind of backgrounds that have the same approach and opinions as you do, Then you don't have diversity of thought you just have group think and everyone's agreeing to the same thing and so part of that is uh, and we can go talk about specific core values that help is how can you really drive true diversity of thought and to have true diversity of thought you have to be really intentional about getting people that come from different backgrounds that have had different experiences and that comes from race gender Um, background, vertical they came from, type of company they worked from before, uh, all different, all different areas. I mean, I can go on forever. We can use this whole hour on all all the different slices of it. I I think oftentimes what happens is, you know, at Tableau, we tried about a, a culture where you, you actually, you know, a lot of it about being able to have open and honest conversations being able to have communication being like respect with something showing teamwork but then also being honest and having respect which means being able to have those hard conversations which really encourages people to speak up even if they don't have the popular viewpoint and what that does is creates an environment where people can feel more supported to be Heard, And I'm sure we didn't do as good of a job as we would have liked because there's always progress and development on that. And operating with a growth mindset of we can always do better. But in the end, you really want the best idea to win, not the person that has the most powerful or the loudest voice. And I think that's what ends up being a challenge is because people often if they have an unpopular position or if many people in the room kind of have the same thought and they have the contrarian viewpoint it's hard to be able to speak up unless there's a culture of regardless of whose idea it is the best idea wins and giving giving that um permission for people to speak their mind and the the cultures and value need to really help to not only promote that But it needs to crack down when people don't get supportive so if someone feels like they can't be heard they need to have a venue to say hey i'm not being able to be heard so diversity of thought has to be super super intentional in your hiring practices in your culture and then make sure that if someone's walking around operating with my voice is the loudest or being domineering or acting with too much ego and not acting with humility then what do you do to to stop that immediately.
0: Yeah. So then, how does an organization, what did you guys do to shape the values to make sure that they proliferated into the DNA, the fabric of who you guys were? Because what I think about is, you know, um, you know, what are our skills? What are the things we focus on? What are our, um, um, in everyday lives or our processes? Because I, it just, wondering if we're not focusing on all yeah. the skills to enable us to behave. In alignment with our values, and, and here's where I'm coming from. This is clunky, but I was talking to a mentor, a friend, of, a mentor of mine, and he's this really cool. He's a uh, neuroscientist. He's this like super out there guy, and he was saying, "Ben, you know what the problem is?" And I was like, "What?" He goes, "It's not the will and the desire to do things typically in life with our behaviors. It's it's the how to."
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, in sales, it's all about being able to hear other people's story being able to ha- to be engaged and present to hear what's important to the other folks so that you can help to get them to a better situation you can help to solve their problem address their challenges and how can you do that if you're just leading with oh i'm going i'm a vendor and i'm going to try to push my wares i that, that's not going to work you need to lead with i'm here to hear your story And how can I help? And it's all about leading with empathy and putting people first. So that's kind of the first piece. I think another piece is just to go specifics into the values. So at values, so let's go back. And and I do this with all the companies that I am engaged with. But just since uh, I was at Tableau for 12 years, and I know there's a lot of Tableau folks on the line. Let's just talk about that with Tableau. So very early days, I started again, one month before we launched version one. Uh, And after we'd gone for a couple of years, we said, okay, well, we need to publish our core values, really be intentional about that as we start hiring people. And there was a whole, uh, this wasn't a whole top down thing, the CEO decide the values or executive team decides the values. We had a bunch of discussions about. What values are really important? And then we solicited feedback from the whole company of what do you think our values are? What would actually represent the personality or the culture of Tableau? And we were able to refine down to just a set core values. And those values that were decided way back then are the same values. If you go to Tableau's site, they talk about the same values now. And those core values, just to kind of summarize them here, there are one, we are on a mission. We build great products. We use those products, we work as a team, we respect each other, we are honest, and we delight our customers. And everything that we did really came back to those those eight values. And if you think about those first and most important, we are on a mission. Every single person, Tableau's mission is we help people see and understand data. And it's the same mission now. And we wanted to hire people who were super passionate about that. They were passionate about empowering people to answer their own questions and empowering people to be self-sufficient, to do their own work and be able to look at their own data and information to be able to not have to depend on someone else that could ask the questions without them asking the questions to go about their day. And that was such a compelling thing. That's the reason I joined. And that's so we were always asking people, you know, why are you super passionate about the mission? And then we build great products. We use the products, everyone used the product. So for instance, you know, when I I was at Tableau for 12 years, when I left at the end of 2016, there were about 3,300, 3,400 employees at Tableau, roughly around 1,800 were in my organization. And virtually everyone that came into my organization as part of their initial interview at tableau they actually had to demo tableau and some people would say well that's crazy you know i'm a busy salesperson i've been successful for 20 years i'm not going to do that as an interview you want me to invest time ahead of time like you hire me and then i'll go take the time to invest and it was okay thank you interview is over this process is done because we wanted people who are super passionate, not only about the mission, how can you get passionate about the mission if you don't understand what you're selling and people that would use the product. And then we talked about work as a team. So how are you putting the team first above yourself and your own ego and really being collaborative and humble in the way that you do that. We respect each other. We talked about that really important of respecting uh, different opinions and different thoughts and treating people with that level of kindness and respect you could have really emotional conversation with people. We wanted that. That's how you draw diversity of thought and those contrarian opinions, but do it in a respectful way. We're honest. So we did a whole bunch of training about having crucial, critical conversations. Uh, and a lot of that came with this whole storytelling of why we engaged you in the first place. Uh, keeping it simple, you know, that. that's why Tableau only had One SKU that had all these prices. Now there's a few more SKUs, but trying to keep things really, really simple and then delighting our customers of doing things in a customer focused way. And all of that was so central to what we did. We trained everyone that was interviewing. We did a lot of behavioral interviewing to make sure that we were screening for respectful, keeping things simple, being honest, team focused people in the interview process. But then it's not done in the interview process. You need to talk about it. Um, You know, we had an annual performance reviews. One of the factors was, how well are you living and breathing the Tableau culture? And people wouldn't get promoted and people wouldn't get those raises if they weren't actually being a guardian of Tableau's culture and we talked about that. Every single person was responsible for being a guardian of the culture. So it really was showing up all the
0: time. Yeah, I, you know, I remember when, when you and I did one, you know, the first workshop together it was with a lot of this senior leadership team. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I remember he said, Ben, we got to spend a lot of time because we, we do it. We cover a lot of ground in two and a half days. We do. We go. We fun do. Different. <laughs> What's that?
1: I said we do, but it's really you do.
0: Okay. And it goes to crazy land, to this, to this, and it's all, and we had listening and stories of different kinds of stories. And you pulled me aside one day. And I remember he said, Ben, the price of admission, when people come out of that is, they better know. Like we all have to have our own tableau story like oh yeah you know, the, and that, uh,
1: yeah uh, well i th- i think the oh go ahead finish we're you gonna say something
0: well i just feel like there's a lot of organizations right now that ask their people to serve their mission and what they're asking their employees to do is serve the company and they're asking the wrong questions mm. when the company serves a greater purpose to solve massive problems in the world right then what we what we can fundamentally do is ask the people around us in our tribe, our customers, our employees, to want to serve that mission as opposed to serving the company. It's a different game altogether. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll share. I've never shared this with you. I'll share one that was since you. Oh, you're excited! Okay, right, so learn something new. Okay, so um, for any of you listening, I had to negotiate with her.
1: <laughs> her is me, I guess.
0: Yeah, you. Actually, I think I talked to you at like 9.30 one night over the phone. <laughs> computer, I always
1: with, love hearing people's negotiation stories with me. Right? They, they seem to be memorable for some reason. I don't know. Why.
0: Well, well, yeah, it was memorable. And here's why. You <laughs> dropped, and I don't know if this was like this accidental nugget you dropped, but you had said to me one day, it was during, our, you know, my process trying to, you know, roll out story leaders into Tableau and you had said to me ben have you used the product yet you probably don't even remember that or maybe you do but you like dropped and i was like like i don't even know how to use gmail and it came at a time when as we were going through this i was like whoa i'm gonna stand in front of a bunch of people we probably in all over the course of three or four years hundreds of people that i had interacted with your company who am i if i can't believe in this
1: absolutely
0: Yep. and but here's at least have
1: a reason why you can't believe in
0: it <laughs> I mean I would just be like some figurehead saying this is what you need to do and just you know preaching and it came at a time where I was doing this series I was doing a series of marketing events, and as I was doing the series of marketing events, I had a marketing team at Story Leaders that was like marketing to different job titles across the country, different events, and I had spreadsheets that were like tabs and rows and columns of names and job titles and who's registered for what event and workshops and non this, and I would have the, I had this guy on my team. His name was Sebastian.
1: I, I remember Sebastian.
0: most beautiful guy. Yeah. And I remember one day we were talking, and it was a Friday night. And it was, we were trying to close up for the week. And I was like, Sebastian, who's like registered? And I'm like being like, just, I'm being that guy. Just that guy. And I'm like peppering him with questions. And I'm so in my left brain. I'm so into the spreadsheets, right? So fortuitously, when you drop your little nugget of, hey, Ben, before I sign this contract with you. Have I you do any-
1: remember now. You went and looked at all your registrants. I do.
0: And well, what I did was I did my version of, I downloaded Temblo and I took my crazy ass rows and columns, and I put it in there, and poof, I saw circles. I saw colors. And I was able to see, oh my God, look at this bucket over here of VPs of marketing. I need to communicate with them differently. Look at this bucket of CEOs. It got, it got even more, more refined. Look at this bucket of people who I've communicated twice with versus once with. Look at these people that are enrolled. And I remember in that conversation with Sebastian, and this is a part I don't think I've ever told you, where I was this guy, what's this? What's going on? We're just fighting because that's how we all operate in life. That's how we operate in life. Look what's going on in the world. I call Sebastian up. And I'm like, hey, Sebastian, have you ever thought that maybe we could do this little you know, you know, newsletter thing to this group over here because now it's in these colors or this heat graph or these, right? But what I realized was it was less about the productivity. It was more about I was in a place in my mind where I was in my creative good place. Like the product put me in a different place. And that is not, I don't know how you put an ROI on that. But what I started to realize was that if it could do that for me, maybe everybody on this planet should have this capability. But hold on, that's not where it really mattered. Because this is when the Tableau story got real for me. I remember that night having dinner. And this is, I don't know if anybody with your kids or young have these kinds of dinners. Hey, how was your day? What'd you do today? And you hear the scrapes of the forks on the plates and everybody's just asking questions, kind of there, kind of not there. You know what I'm talking about? Of course, and I we remember- all do. Right. We got
1: much better when we took your class.
0: <laughs> good, good. Um, but I remember going to dinner that night and I was in a different headspace. I was a better dad that night. Like that is not cheesy, that's not hyperbole. Like this made me a better person. And I think like we're afraid to say it sometimes. So when I had that experience, I think what, the, what you were forcing me to do was to say, Ben, what's an experience that will endear you to this mission we're on? So we serve that mission, not the company. And there is the breakdown. And that was a lesson I got when you had said to me, Ben, everybody's gotta leave this workshop being endeared to an experience that serves this mission.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's, it's actually even more than that. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, I think, uh, and I talk about this in my class, and actually this is something that I talk about with, um, with all the different companies I'm involved in now too, is as people are trying to focus on all these operational things and their messaging and how they're going to engage in, with their employees or whatever it may be, a lot of it has to do with, well, what is the company's mission in the first place? What is the company's purpose? And this is what is so compelling now. I and mean, I've been like beaten, I've, I've been trying to like get people to think about this for over a decade of, it's not just about what you do and how you do it, it's about why. And then Simon Stevick goes out and like has this whole um, podcast that ends up being super powerful. You have Brene Brown that's talking about vulnerability, and those are two of my favorite books and authors and TED Talks. And I think so much of it ends up coming back to, well, for a company. So we are so we can think about it in our own personal lives too, but let's talk about it from a company standpoint first. So the company, why does a company exist in the first place? And that all ties back to the mission. And the interesting thing, part of the reason I teach this to go-to-market a strategy course is in my first three years, or actually the first two years after I left Tableau and I was doing board work. I probably met with about 80 different CEOs, and I would ask these CEOs. And sometimes, sometimes they were asking me about board work. Sometimes they just wanted some sales help. Sometimes for advising. Sometimes I was speaking on some. So it was all different ways that I was interacting with them. Sometimes it was just social and networking. And they'd ask me some tactical question and I'd ask them what their mission is. Sometimes the CEO didn't even know what the mission is, but if the CEO knew the mission and then I would go ask like the other executive members, it was so, so common that people couldn't all even state what the mission is. And if they could state the mission, they couldn't tell me the company's why, like I'd say, well, why does it even matter? Why is your mission important? Why did the company get founded in the first place? And so if, if, You're expecting that you're gonna have your marketers and your salespeople and your product people develop product that's gonna be aligned with this overarching reason and purpose of why the company exists, and they don't actually even know the mission, or your company doesn't have a mission, then it's gonna be very difficult to do. So, you know, now people start thinking about that and go, okay, well, it's the company, but then there's three different kinds of stories you need to have. One, everyone needs to be able to tell the company's story. Everyone needs to. And some companies are good at it. Some companies are not. But you need to think about the why, the essence of why the company exists. What's the purpose? So that's the first. The second is you need to be able to tell the customer stories. And I see companies do this so wrong because they're talking only about the ROI and the what and the how. Like, what is the tactical way that this company is using this widget? Or what are people doing? Not the why does it even matter? Like, Why does the customer care? You know, people are connected to that emotional reason. People buy for emotion. And it's not just to sell more. It's just to understand and highlight what are the customer stories. So you have the company story. You have the customer story. And then third, each individual has their own personal story. And this is, I think, what we were talking about, Ben, when we were doing, um, because what we were initially, when we were doing the story leaders at Tableau, I felt like, the company story reason was resonating, even the customer story, but there wasn't enough integrated into that of the personal story. So for the individual, you know, so so someone working at Tableau, you can tell the customer the company story, you can tell the customer story, but if you don't have a personal identification of why it's important to you, or why it's important to me, like then then I'm just going to be selling the what and the how and like just just talking about what's on that PowerPoint slide. I need to make it personal and emotional to me. And that's what I talk about with all my companies of what is your own personal story. Now, the last thing, and so that's a company, needs to have company story, customer story, and their own personal story. But it's all important for us to take away the whole company You know, now I'm on this board journey and I'm involved in a whole bunch of women on boards, organizations, women in leadership, women in career development. And the same thing's true for that. It it doesn't matter about the company. Like you need to be really clear on your own for your own individual self. What's your what's your own personal mission? What's your own personal value? What's your own personal why? And what's your own personal company story? And that's what will help you. To navigate your career and to make those decisions in the same way a company makes their decision based on their values. You know, I navigate my career based on my own personal mission and what my own personal values are. And everyone on the call should be doing that as well. And you have to know your personal story or you can't do that.
0: Well, here's what's crazy, it's actually bonkers because most companies literally ignore that. And I remember people used to say, I was always bummed out because whenever I do workshops with you guys, people would always be like, thanks Kelly for investing in us. Thanks Barry for doing this. I'd be like, yo, what about me? Thank me, I'm up here. But, but then thank I- Thank started- you, Ben, thank you, Ben. You're, you're look at. thank you. We're
1: all on here because of your ingenious idea. So if, if you saw everyone, if we weren't on a webinar, we're on a panel, we could have everyone. Do but but
0: here is what I learned from that, why I shared it. I think what that was doing was this, to make a group of people community work, people got to know themselves in the context of of this broader thing. I think that's what I'm hearing from you. And in order to see your life in the context of the work that we do, we got to do that personal inner work. And if you remember, that was really dirty, messy work that we would do, right? A lot of tears were shed and then people would be like, well, I didn't know that about you, John, I love you. I'll go, I'll go to the like mat for you. I'll take off the shirt off my back for you. But there was, there was a, a level of love that people would say, dare I say, cult like love for each other in this mission, this brotherhood and sisterhood because people. So now going back to well, my Well, hopefully
1: people think of it more as a family than a cult because that's the negative huh? connotation. But, but yeah, I think people were super passionate and felt really connected and it is that emotional connectedness. That's what's missing from many companies. They, they have all these words and there's these disconnected pieces, but the emotional connectedness works. It's like connectedness by words. And right. you know, one of the things uh, we had for the Tableau people, we had Skip Miller, who was one of our trainers and I always take from him, he talked about the three levels of why. And I think that this three levels of why is so important because it's not only how companies sell but it's also three levels of why just in terms of how relationships form most people like so everyone knows what the first level of why is like especially in a company why did someone actually take the meeting? Why Why are they actually even sitting there taking time out of their day to spend an hour to listen to this salesperson or um, to, to go to that interview? The first level of why is very clear. It tends to be pretty superficial. And many people are pretty good at getting to that second level of why, which is, well, tell me a little bit more. Tell me more like, why is this important? That's when you start getting into ROI or I need to solve this problem. Uh, but you know, part of the thing I loved about Tableau, which just made me so passionate about our mission, and I think was part of the thing about our culture, which is why people were so connected. But it also helped us to create this community, is we really, really want to understand. And we heard that third level of why of for the actual person. Remember, it's people that are buying company of buying products. It's not companies that are. Like I loved hearing the stories at Tableau of they use Tableau because made them more productive and they hadn't been able to go to a little league game in 10 years and they started using tableau so they could actually leave at three or they really wanted to get a career um career progression and they used tableau and then they were able to get three promotions or they they didn't they were frustrated at work because they actually felt really strapped and not able to figure out a way that they could answer their own questions and Tableau empowered them to be much more self-sufficient to do their own jobs. All of that is true, but it's true for us too. Like we, we want to engage with other people of that third level of why, and many companies don't do that. And you have to be vulnerable and leave with your own personal story to be able to have someone else open up because most people, they they don't want to let down their walls. They're used to operating that first and second level of why, not the third Mm.
0: As you're talking about that, I'm seeing like these images of people that that go here and like what it takes for people just to get closer to one another. Um, Tyler, you just popped on and I see in the chats that there's a bunch of people wanting to ask questions. Will you help us uh, navigate that or bring people in?
2: Yeah, yeah, the first person we have coming in to ask a question is uh, Rick Dupree. Hi, Uh, so uh, thank you, Ben, for the forum. So now you have two thank yous. Thank you, Kelly, for your time and certainly your valuable contribution to the conversation. Uh, you both discuss values and skill sets, and as, as a leader, I've sometimes found it challenging to connect skill set to values and vice versa. In a way, to the point, maybe where you, you, you actually you execute on your skills within your set of values. Um, so it's more kind of embedded in what you do as opposed to having to separate the two and try to connect them consistently. So any thoughts on that? Any, any um, you know, recommendations or guidance with respect to that? Uh,
1: ben, do you want to take that first Sure. That's a big, that's kind of a big ethereal question.
2: Well, maybe this way, that. you both discussed skills, you know, values and skill sets before. So uh, yeah. my question is more around just, you know, aligning those yeah.
1: Okay. Well, so, so maybe Ben thought, maybe I'll just go first now that I have a thought. So, um, on my LinkedIn, I actually published an article relatively recently, which were the, t- uh, the 20 behavioral traits that make for the, the best salesperson. And, and actually I think it's for like the best human being, not necessarily the best salesperson, because I think the best salespeople are the ones that have those behavioral traits. And so I think it actually comes less to, How, like, I think the challenge that you have, especially in the interview process and even in the performance review cycle is people are often always looking for that what and how. What did they do? What are the experience dots? What are the resume accomplishments and achievements that they've done? And those are super important. You wanna look at uh, those resume pieces. I think companies tend to really, really over pivot and put way too much value on just those resume pieces without thinking about all those cultural pieces. And those cultural pieces and values, to me, I think that those are behavioral traits. So behavioral traits, it's much easier to teach skills and and give people experiences to develop those additional resume points than it is to teach and develop behavioral traits, although we all try. And so when you think about things like leading with empathy and hard work and being a leader and being humble Um, there's a lot of questions that you can do if you look at those behavior traits to do behavioral interviewing and actually train everyone that's interviewing on how do you actually do behavioral interviewing and how do you incorporate those into your weekly one-on-ones and how do you incorporate those into your annual performance reviews. So some of the things that we did just to make it really tangible and practical is in those one-on-ones talking about, okay, well, let's talk about this value of being respectful the way that you showed up in that meeting it didn't seem like that was really representative you kind of talked over that person Um, that person i think maybe felt disrespected or maybe someone's really upset about something and hey you know what what about being honest even when it's tough you need to have those honest conversations so so i think it and and everyone that's from tableau um, or who has heard me speak before knows that i 100 of the time uh, you, you need to have some, of course, experience and resume. But if it came to me, like someone's 100% fit on the experience and resume and maybe 50% fit or 80% fit on cultural, I wouldn't. Like you needed yeah. to make sure you had those cultural values in place. And um, I would sacrifice more on the experience and resume. So hopefully that helps. That's my perspective. Ben, for you.
0: I'm going to have to breathe through this one. Because I never wanted to come to any of these. I'm with you a thousand percent. Something more visceral is coming up for me. So Rick, may I? Please. Because I think what you're talking about is we have values, and we have our behaviors, and how do we bridge that? And a lot of times they're incongruent. And one of the things that has always killed me was the fact that when I talk to somebody, especially in sales enablement, they're like they look at all these hard skills that we teach, right? And then they'll kind of talk to me about the stuff that I talk about. And I'll use words like you use, Kelly empathy compassion being all in vulnerability that ain't is that a hard skill love dare i say the word love and yet listening passion heart soul meaning purpose i would say that it's pretty easy for a lot of us to chuck those words up into which bucket the soft skills the soft bucket yeah yeah, yeah, yeah but yet the companies okay well then let me ask you this which bucket are our values in compassion, community, trust.
2: Historically, the, they looked at as soft skills, but right. which is the challenge where I'm kind of
0: coming from. Right. So yet, okay, our values are soft skills. And yet we look at skills training that Kelly's talking about. And I know where you guys put a lot of training and investment into your people, Kelly. Just didn't say, go do it. You invested to make sure they were acquired with the skills. And then I'm like, why do we chalk up empathy compassion passion our why to soft skills maybe those are what my friend calls as high human skills maybe they're the hardwired skills mm. and maybe that's a problem and this is where i'm going to get visceral and i'm starting to hyperventilate right now and here's why because what i'm about to say may be controversial but i'm looking at the world right now and kelly and i if we're going to keep it real real we are going to do this call last week but because of the events last week, we're like, let's really think and take a breath and be there, and you know, maybe give it a week, right, Kelly? Let's really take an inventory of the world and, let the, and be listeners for the next week. So we push this out a week. But here's what I've thought about for the last week: If we had these skills, would that police officer's knee be on that person's neck? Just hold on a second, because w- was it the Bill of Rights? i.e. the United States Constitution or the police handbook, did that help? Those are words on a paper. That would be like the company's mission statement if you just say this is what we do or the what in the hell, right? And I'm just wondering what it would be like if a week earlier those two human beings were in one of our rooms and they were listening to each other's story. I'll take it a step further. In the six or seven minutes before that all went down, what did that police officer Could have opened up his life a little bit when he was in handcuffs. And and guys, I'm not trying to cherry pick here. I'm just this is really where I'm where 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 my place is in the world. What if he would have handcuffed him and said, you know, some this must be really hard on everybody with the pandemic. We all been locked up for the last three months, and I know you're in handcuffs right now, right? I'm have I'm struggling too with it. Just bear with me. I'm I'm struggling. My wife's going. I'm this. I don't know what you think about cops. Oh really? I'm here too. I'm not trying to cherry pick Rick, but what I'm thinking about is what happens if the world learn the skills, the behavioral skills to be empathic, to share their own stories, to listen to each other. My dear friend, Antoinette Tuff, if you know me, you know her story, talked to a gunman who walked into an elementary school with an AK-47 and 500 rounds strapped to his body. Talked him them off the ledge, not by talking them off the ledge, by having empathy and compassion to walk in another person's shoes. And I'm just thinking about as we talk about culture, worst, best case scenarios in the culture and I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley with a lot of companies. You name the company, I was probably there. I was in the last 12 years. There's a lot of ping pong tables, a lot of beer on taps, right? And, th- and bean bags, and, you know, we want to go have a beer with somebody. Worst case scenario, we're just divided from one another. What happens if we bring people just a little bit closer? And to me, the connective tissue that I'm hearing is maybe these things that we call soft skills, we start to think of them as hard skills. And then we say, what do we? how do we train on them? How do we train to tell our stories? How do we train to listen? Because if we listen, we have empathy. And then build process and systems around that. And Kelly, I know you've done that. You built a whole course around a company's mission and narrative. You say that right?
1: Yeah, I mean well well I think I think that you could call them hard skills, soft skills, whatever it is. The people that are the best leaders out there are that have the followers that people are like when i think about a leader it's not just someone that is setting all the rules it's the type of people where i feel comfortable to say for my kids hey i they're a role model for who you should aspire to be and uh, to me those kind of people are those that treat each other's with kindness empathy compassion respect And I think we need to be talking about this more. I mean, this is one of the things that I talk about in all my boardrooms. Like, it's not just about the revenue. It's not just about uh, getting people that have those different experiences. It's not just like, what have people done before? We need to be able to create and create these positive environments where diverse voices do, there is diversity of thought. There are diverse voices that people can bring their authentic self. And there was a question that popped up in the chat that really said, um, you know, is it right to, to hire for the cultural fit? And I think the challenge where people think about this is oftentimes people think about culture is, well, we have these experience, but then culture is like, it's this personality of what the culture is right now. And that is all people that look and act the same. How are we going to evolve it? And, you know, culture as companies grow and evolve, the culture grows and evolves. You don't always want the culture to be the same. Uh, so I think it's less about culture. And I know I just said as culture, but it's more about you want to have those specific values. The culture will grow and evolve. The values don't necessarily grow and evolve. You want the values to stay the same and maybe you'll add some of the others. And so how can you actually just build that muscle? I think the other thing is everyone always thinks culture just happens and they're not part of it, but each and every one of us I always like to talk about it of we're all a guardian of the culture. And it's responsible for each of us to live and breathe those values and show up in the way and to set the example and lead by example. So culture doesn't just happen and we show up, we need to be living and breathing that too. So,
0: so
2: we have Don, who has a question. Kelly. Hi. How's it going? Oh, it's great to, great to see you. So real quick, I attended one of Ben sessions in San Francisco, got very lucky to do it. I happened to share one of my stories about my company at the time, um, turned out to be your husband. There you go. I love that.
1: So awesome.
2: Terrifying yet wonderful. So <laughs> really excited to you didn't tell disappear. me any of your
1: stories just so there a
2: Tableau person in there. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. But what I have for you, Kelly, truthfully, you went up through the ranks with Tableau and obviously the culture as Ben's talked about and you've talked about so much, right? how do you lead a sales team in technology these days? And how are you advising your companies as a woman? Mm-hmm. Because it's mostly white men leading the sales leadership. How do we, how do we step into that better? Yeah. Great,
1: great question, Don. And a few things there. I think the other interesting part when I was at Tableau, not only was I, a woman in tech, not very many, a woman in executive role, not very many, a woman in sales, not very many. And like literally almost no, there's so few women executives in sales and tech. So I was used to always being kind of one of very few. And the interesting part on my boards, I'm on four corporate boards now. I was I was the first woman on all four of my boards too. Uh, and so I'm used to kind of being the only voice in the room and you know I do have a I do have a different approach in a way of doing things because I'm different. maybe it's a gender thing too, who knows? Um, but I think like in all of my boards I am really talking about these cultural pieces and I think uh, a lot of what we just talked about, uh, in the last question, is just being able to really think about how do you hire for values, how do you promote those values, how do you actually be much more thoughtful about diversity of thought. But I think the other thing to make it just much more tangible and practical, Don, because people want to know, well, what can I do to help? How can we do more? And you know, I I have the contrarian viewpoint all the time. Sometimes in my boardrooms now, even like even if I agree all like say, well, no one's talking about this other point of view. Like we need to just be thinking like there's different perspectives that we could be coming at this. And oftentimes I'm slapped down, like in terms of like, people don't want that. They'll, they'll try to make me quiet. And, and oftentimes I'll feel really uncomfortable of putting myself in a pretty vulnerable situation of should I continue to speak up or is it just easier to not? And I think I've kind of looked at it of Like my role is, I I owe it to everyone coming beside us and behind us to speak up. Because if I'm not gonna speak up and I'm about as vocal and extroverted as out there, I can't expect other people to be as uh, as vocal as I. But if everyone just says, you know what? I'm gonna put myself a little bit outside my comfort zone, try to be a little bit more vocal. uh, That's the first thing. Everyone just has to really say, are they pushing the envelope? Because if you're comfortable all the time, we're not gonna make the progress. I think the second piece though is, everyone really needs to see this as, that, as their role. And you asked specifically about women. It's not just about women trying to find their you know opportunities. It is having other women being able, when there's a role that's open, whether it reports to you or if it's on your team or somewhere else in the company say, hey, I wanna put these other people's names. Hey, I want to help to mentor and for all the men that are out there to say, how are you going to find someone you think is an up and comer and really help? So I think the onus is on all of us to be able to say, you know, what are you doing today to help promote and sponsor a woman or someone that is in a different diversity group uh, to make sure that we're helping to increase the pipeline.
2: That's perfect. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah,
1: Appreciate thank you, Don. Great to see you.
0: Um, you know, Kelly, you know, you, the word vulnerability came up twice there. Maybe you know, you know, this will be my final words, and then I'll just kick it over to you to share anything that's on your mind. But when I think of vulnerability, and we would exercise through vulnerability, it's a skill, it's a muscle, and we would exercise through it to infuse that into the culture and the DNA of who you guys were. I think a lot of times we think vulnerability is just showing weakness, showing our errors, or, or you know, shedding a tear. And I feel like we have it, we have it wrong. And, and there's this myth I, I've, I've come to learn that in our corporate cultures, we think we need to have trust to be vulnerable. And I'm wondering if that's backwards. Maybe we need to be vulnerable to develop trust. But vulnerability is not just, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to shed a tear and share what's, what I've, where I've erred. I think it's also, I think what you've just said was it's about leaning into the discomfort of something that might be scary. Mm-hmm. To go do something that's a risk and take a risk and take, jump in with both feet without an escape hatch and say, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, this is who I am. Look, I'm I'm this, right? You're gonna, if you yeah. love me, I'm gonna love you. If you don't love me, I'm still gonna love you. Yeah. But I don't need it because yeah. I'm all in with myself. And that's fostering a culture where people can fully show up is the most badass thing in the world. And I think that looking back at my time with Tableau, that's what I think of when I think about your guys' culture. And that's why everybody was all in. It wasn't just a slogan. Mm-hmm. So with yeah. that- um, Well, thank
1: you. I- yeah, I think a, a couple things that I'll just, and, and, and then I know we're bumping up against time or overtime. You know, the, the, there's there's this personality profile called the DISC that we did at Tableau, and some people might be uh, familiar with it, some people not. I think the important part is one of the things, you will answer these questions, and one of the things that the report ends up giving you is, who is your who is your true self in your natural state? And then who is your adapted self? And the interesting part is most people, virtually everyone actually has their natural state of how they show up with their, their kids or their best friends or their family members. And then then there's an adapted state of how they show up at work or how they show up in professional situations or more uncomfortable situations, maybe you could call it that too. and it's it's striking how many people are so different and we talk about bringing our authentic self to work and everyone's always talking about that of how important it is but even after we talk about it and people say it's super important and that they're practicing at the work you have them go do this and they actually have different answers their adapted self is not the same as the natural self now for me personally and you know this is sometimes to my kids chagrin like i just feel like there's way too much for me to do to have to manage multiple versions of personalities of Kelly, right? So what you see is what you get, what you see here on this call is what shows up at work is what shows up in the boardroom is what shows up in teaching. It's what shows up with my kids who sometimes don't like that. Hey, don't be your professional person when you're home. And I think part of that authenticity is being able to ask yourself, can you really show up? So something personally about me, I'm pretty emotional. You know, like if if I'm, if someone's getting some recognition, like that's really touching to me. If someone's having a hard time at home, that's really challenging for me. I feel that, like that empathy I, I feel. Now, I also ask the questions, but if if I were to just ask a question of, huh, it, it, it seems to me maybe you're, you, you know, it seems like maybe your head's somewhere else. What's going on? And they just don't know me at all. They're probably not going to want to open up and be vulnerable. And so it is leading first with that authentic vulnerability. And so you get trust by asking and inquiring, but is someone really going to let down their guard, which for years has been told, I mean, I was told for years, it's not okay, Kelly, for you to like tear up when you're on stage. Professionals don't do that. And I was mortified for so long of, oh, I need to practice, practice, practice this talk so I don't get emotional around recognition. And then I thought, you know what, that's, I'm telling people they need to be their authentic self. So if I get emotional around the recognition, then people know that I care about them. And so now I think it is this joke, like you opened it up, Kelly cries a lot. And, um, you know, that's who I am. And if someone doesn't like it, they don't have to like me. Uh, But, you know, I'm still going to show up with my own, own authentic self. So I would have everyone ask themselves, are you really being your authentic self? And if not, why? And what can you do to be more your authentic self? And then are you enabling other people to actually show up with their authentic self so that we can build that camaraderie and trust?
0: Love it. The last thing I just thought about when we, since we started on culture was this, and I had shared about a week ago, this idea that when I, when I look out my front window of my home here, the beauty of it all is, you know, there's sycamore trees, but then there's a lemon tree over here. There's some messed up hedges. There's some colorful flowers and the, it's the culture of this visual look, the character of the landscape and the beauty is because it's all in its natural. Everything is who it's supposed to be and the sum of it is beautiful. And that's the character, and there's a symbiotic relationship between the roots, the flowers, the fungi, the, the bees, the this, and everybody plays a role, but everybody shows up. But it's as if a lot of organizations want to whitewash it and just strip it down, just take this thing and have it all look the same, and it's perfectly manicured. And I guess what you said is that is culture, but is that the culture we choose? Or well,
1: is- yeah. Well, I, I think what you had said is you look out and everything's all beautiful and where it's supposed to be. I think maybe here's the thought that I would put like there, you can see a lot of beauty, but there is a lot of ugliness too. And so um, I think as all of us, we wanna show up with our authentic selves, but be able to figure out how we can continue to have a positive impact, how we can continue um, to have a growth mindset and continue to, to learn, to progress, to listen, to build, continue to build that empathy muscle um, to hear and be authentic ourselves, but to hear others vulnerabilities too. And we do that all so much through story and through having these authentic conversations. So Ben, I really appreciate that you have this weekly campfire where you are promoting the value of authentic, honest conversations. And that's how we build meaningful emotional connections. So thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for sharing. You guys can check out Kelly at uh, on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll in the notes here somewhere, put a link to her, her contact info or her LinkedIn and you guys can connect with her. But yeah, I would
1: love to connect. Thank you all for spending your, spending an hour with us.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. Take and care. I'll see you guys next week.